There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is the Yahoo Sports NBA Podcast, hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Bring our To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the road. Chris Mannix. Yes. All right, welcome into another episode of the Yahoo Sports NBA podcast. Got a great show lined up for you today. Two guests uh, coming up with two of the most interesting teams, really, in basketball that we're going to take a deep dive into. First up is Jonathan Fagan, covers the Rockets for the Houston Chronicle. Been a, uh, a very interesting offseason for the uh, Houston Rockets. They lose Trevor Reza, Luke Mute, but they add Carmelo Anthony. Are they a better team? How are they going to play? Get into all that and more with Jonathan Fagan. A little bit later on, I check in with Michael Grange from Sportsnet out in Toronto. Another team that had a big shakeup this offseason. Kawhi Leonard is in. DeMar DeRozan is out. Nick Nurse is the head coach. How does that all work? I get into all that and more with Michael Grange over at Sportsnet in Toronto. Quick housekeeping note. If you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. Post a comment. Leave a rating. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, let's go. All right, joining me now on the podcast, as promised, Jonathan Fagan, the uh, Rockets beat writer over at the Houston Chronicle. What's happening, John? Not much. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Let's uh, jump right into it here with the Rockets. Interesting offseason, to say the least, um, with Houston. Let me start with you with what kind of could have been. You know, 65-win team, win away from the finals, perhaps a win away from a championship. Did you get the sense at the end of the season that the Rockets' priority or that it was a priority for them to keep that entire team together and bring it back whole? Yes, maybe not with the word entire, for the most part. That was the goal. Run it back was kind of what they kept saying, that that was the intention. I think... The reason I didn't, I won't kind of embrace the word entire, I, I think they thought all along they would be losing Trevor Ariza. In fact, I know they did. But they never thought there was a good chance. Now, they were surprised it went for a one-year deal, even at $15 million, and for a team with the worst record in the league. And he went from a team with the best record to the team with the worst. That they would not have predicted. But I don't think they were optimistic in any way that they would be keeping Ariza. I think that they thought they'd be able to keep 
Luke Bamute and therefore run it back. Chris Paul, Gerald Green, and so on. Uh, okay, with Ariza though, I mean, why do you why do you think they were convinced they're going to lose him? I mean, the one year deal I think caught a lot of people off guard. As you said, the 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 Suns being the destination that was a surprise too. Well, I think they thought, as many of us did, that he was at a stage of his career where he would have to take uh, the best last go, the last best contract that he could. That it was that time, you know, for them to compete with that. For a guy who's kind of their fifth most important player, maybe fourth, maybe even sixth, I'd say probably fifth most important player, and given their tax situation, as is the contract he got would have cost them nearly $60 million, given what tax situation they're in and what it would have put them to, they kind of thought it would work out that way. Mm. Nah, you know, they, they can't, it doesn't make as much sense for them. You know, it, it did surprise me, John, just because of, you know, you know better than I do the value of Trevor Ease. I know he didn't play well in that game seven uh, against the Warriors, but, you know, up and down, you know, whether it's locker room, uh, defense, you know, versatility, he just brings a lot to the table. Did it, I mean, did their, did, did their belief that they couldn't bring him back, that, that money was such a factor, did that surprise you at all? No, uh, it's. In some ways, uh, and I don't mean this to disparage Trevor, and I'll explain in a second that Mm -hmm. that would be wrong to do, but it is a little bit like the old Branch Rickey thing. It's better to lose a guy a year too soon than a year too late. Uh, uh, So there was some of that, that they were okay without a guy who I would consider the fifth most important guy. Now you could say, hey, fifth most important guy on a team with championship aspirations is pretty darn important. And I would agree in this case. Trevor, he's such a perfect fit for the stars. I, I think that was the great value that people talk about a lot. That's exactly what you want. A 3 and D guy who embraces his role and is a true pro, which he really is. It's not just reputation. He really is a, a, a pro and a role model type of guy. That's part of what Phoenix is paying for. That's all true and makes perfect sense as a great fit. He's not the defensive player that he was a couple years ago when he was underrated defensively. He didn't get his due for just how good he was on the ball. I mean, people forget or didn't notice that when the Rockets had Pat Beverly, one of the best defensive guards in the league, they were putting Trevor Ariza on Russell Westbrook and on Steph Curry. You wouldn't do that now. They mm-hmm. didn't do that last year. Luke Bamute was better on the ball than Trevor was. Trevor made up for that because he was a playmaker defensively. He was so smart and engaged that if he could see something breaking down, he would know where to be and get a deflection or get a steal. And he would do it all without making mistakes and his versatility to switch so much was of great value to them, but he was not all that he was physically a couple of years before you could see as a team evolves, how it would transition that way. It was, it's kind of like the Rockets were a championship caliber team, but they didn't win a championship championship teams kind of accept, Hey, that's what happens. You can't keep everybody at the prices they're going to get. Cause we just want a championship they kind of thought that would happen with Trevor. They just didn't think, like, as we said before, one year to Phoenix, that they would never have predicted. I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But they did think, yeah, that could be the one that they would be most trouble with. Okay, so they lose a reason. That deal was was a pretty big deal, even for just one year. But Bob Mute's deal with the Clippers, not that big. I mean, four, four and a half million dollars per year on that one. I know people can people kind of debate nationally the, the value of Maba Mute to that team because of the injury at the end of the season. But I mean, was, what was the reasoning do you think behind Maba Mute not getting the, the money needed to come back? Well, here, here's the exact reasoning and it is very much opens them up for debate. They viewed his shoulder as not ruined. He's, they think the probability is he will come back and be okay Remember, he, he did it twice last year, which is a little bit of a red flag when it happens a second time. So they thought, okay, no, no, he, he, he's okay. He'll be all right. 
But there is a chance. There's now that possibility that, no, it's going to be an ongoing problem. So they evaluated, all right, you know, we'll do it, but now he's more of a risk. We'll only go up this far. And they went up to about $2.9 million. That's where you're open to debate. Really, the difference of another $1.5 million, plus it had some taxes, and so sure. it would be a lot more than that. But still, that's the difference of a guy that important as he became after Trevor left. It opens him up for debate, but that was the thinking, that there's a possibility. It's not the probability, but there is some sort of percentage chance this could be an ongoing problem. Mm-hmm. And so that was very much a factor in what, where they drew the line and why they wouldn't move it. So two fairly uh, important guys go out in Houston. And, of course, the big name to replace them is uh, is Carmelo Anthony. Let me, let me run my theory of the Rockets and Carmelo Anthony by you, John. Let, and let me get your thoughts on it. Um, Carmelo, to me, in Houston, is almost like a, a nuclear option. Like, they lose Ariza. They lose Baba Mute. There's not a lot of, of, of valuable guys on the market they can sign for a low-dollar figure. Carmelo's coming in at basically the veteran's minimum it's it's a, a low risk, uh, high reward type, a potential high reward type of acquisition for him. But it did it did smack a little bit of kind of desperation. Like here's that the faded former star who's got a relationship with Chris Paul and with James Harden. Let's bring him in and see if we can somehow catch lightning in a bottle and make it work with Carmelo. What do you think? Well, there's two things about that. It is that. Although, you know, certainly, you know, absolutely, of course, that's what he is. It's low risk, costs you almost nothing. And uh, you can still get enough of Carmelo to be of value to you. You got to back up in that they already signed James Ennis, who is very important to what they plan. He defensively can be more Luke Famute than Trevor Reza, and that I wouldn't expect him to be the disruptor that Trevor was in terms of passing lanes and breaking down what an offense is trying to do, but better on the ball than Trevor, which is something Carmelo will absolutely not be on wings. You know, Trevor's not maybe the guy you put on points anymore. Bamute was, you could put him on anybody. They feel like on the ball, Ennis can be that. So that changes what is asked of Carmelo. If Ennis can hit a decent enough percentage of threes to take enough minutes, then the defense doesn't fall off so much that then Carmelo's offense becomes more of a weapon rather than, well, does it make up for his defense? That's when, okay, then he becomes what you're describing of. He can be a real weapon because offensively, he's got enough of Carmelo left in him. He's going to be good offensively. I really don't think there's any doubt. It's how many minutes do you have to play him as a three? How many minutes do you have to play him at all? And then what do you have to do defensively to make that work with a guy who's not as good defensively as the two who left? What's your understanding? You know, I know what Mike D'Antoni's saying publicly, but, you know, look, I, I lived in New York when Mike was there with Carmelo. Um, I knew a lot of people in that organization, and, and I know that, you know, kind of I've said this before, but Carmelo Anthony wasn't a reason that Mike D'Antoni left New York. He was arguably, maybe not even arguably, the reason that Mike D'Antoni left New York. I mean, what's your understanding of of where D'Antoni is with all this? Well, he's on board and was last summer as well. Um, Remember last summer when Carmelo did come here, the the Rockets' interest in him was very much with D'Antoni's blessing. You know both those guys. They're both such affable guys. They feel like they can get along with anybody, and they usually do. They're usually right about that. So what happened in New York has been reported accurately. That is what happened in New York. But neither feels like, ah, that's something they can't overcome or that it's an issue between them. They spent the Olympic time together since then. You know, they were, you know, the typical D'Antoni way when they met in Las Vegas, they put it out there directly. This is what we're expecting of you. This is how we would use you as opposed to he'll come in and go, what do you mean I'm not starting, if, if that's the case? Or what do you mean you want me to play for? Which was the case, not the starting part, but that was the case in New York, where D'Antoni tries to run an offense that Carmelo doesn't want. You know, what do you mean I'm not posting up? We don't post up in my offense. 
that's that's already out there, done, discussed, clear. Everybody knows what offense Mike D'Antoni runs now. So the things that they couldn't overcome, they couldn't get past in New York, they're already past here. Everybody knows what offense they run. They're going to run it. They're, they're not going to. He's not going to say, you mean you're not posting me up every time down the floor? Yeah, <laughs> this is news to you? So I, I just don't see it as a problem, partly because of their personalities and how they view their own personality of, yeah, I can get along with anybody. And so, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely true what happened there, but it's not really relevant to here. Yeah, you're right. It, it was it was very much a forced marriage uh, in New York with how that trade went down uh, with Denver and the way, as you said, the way the Knicks played, especially when Jeremy Lin started to take off. And different situation, Houston. They're they're very much a you know pick and roll isolation kind of team right now under D'Antoni, which is a separate conversation of how they, you know, how Mike evolved into that type of coach. But I mean, is is you know, I, I just I just wonder, John, is is Carmelo if if asked to be a sixth man playing minutes in the end of the first, you know, into the third, early fourth quarter for an entire season. Is Carmelo Anthony really going to be, you know, okay with that? He was a good soldier in Oklahoma city, but I just wonder how that role kind of fits him. Cause that'd be the first time in his career that he'd be kind of actively choosing that type of role. Right. He's never come off the bench, but I don't think that's the issue. I think it's more when he doesn't finish games. Yeah. Cause there's going to be times that Capella Tucker, Gordon, Paul, and Harden are the five on the floor. And that won't even be like a shocking, oh, my gosh, you yeah. know, what do you mean he's not on the floor? Well, yeah, those five guys finish games. Now, there will be times they finish games, as they did last year with Tucker as a center and Carmelo as a four. That could work, and they can do that in some matchups and some games. But there absolutely will be games that are good, tight, tough, close games, and Carmelo comes out with four minutes left. How is he going to react to that, especially if it happens repeatedly? You know, if it happens once or twice, Eric Gordon didn't love the games he didn't finish, but, you know, they win. They won 65 last year. If they're not winning that number, and it happens quite a bit, that's the one that we need to see. I don't think the starting thing, that's already covered. That's one Mm -hmm. of the first things they said in Las Vegas. You know, you might not be here to start. Mike views you as a four. P.J. Tucker's the four. There's a very good chance you're not starting. Now, yeah, you can still beat out James Ennis and start at the three. There's a good chance you won't, that you're a four and you'll be the backup. It's the finishing games that that's what jumps out to me as the thing to watch. Yeah, and, and John, I think that's going to happen a lot this year. I mean, if mm-hmm. you watch the, the Thunder games last year, the Oklahoma City kind of came around to that, you know, especially towards the end of the season when Jeremy Grant was out there. Uh, on the floor playing that that kind of Carmelo role. If you've got, the way I see it, if you've got two guys in Harden and Paul, they're going to be the ball-dominant players offensively. You want to put your best defensive lineup at every other spot out there on the floor, and that's never going to be, it's never really going to include Carmelo Anthony. I, I think you're going to see uh, the majority of games, Carmelo Anthony sitting in the fourth, and the end of the fourth quarter. Maybe the majority of the real close ones. Don't, yeah. Don't, there's an awful lot of games where, hey, it's an eight-point lead. It's a 12, 14-point sure. lead, whatever. But if it's an eight-point lead and you're rolling offensively, as they hope to be able to do, and you know, there'll be some days P.J. Tucker doesn't finish either, even though clearly a better defensive player. They do think Carmelo as a four. He won't be as exposed as much. Plus, they're switching style to some degree. Everybody kind of feels like, well, that can't work with him. And there are matchups and there are opponents that can't work. There's other times, for example, Carmelo's at a four. His guy sets a screen for James Harden. They switch. Well, James Harden spends a lot of games on the guy who's not going to go one-on-one. You're playing Oklahoma City, and he's on Robertson. They don't clear out, and Russell Westbrook makes sure Robertson goes one-on-one on Carmelo. That's not happening. And, so, and then James is one of the areas that doesn't get talked about but he's actually very good low post defender. His numbers last year were, were remarkable as a low post defender in those switches. The issue becomes when, okay, Chris Paul's guy, or they, or Carl's guy uh, screens for Chris Paul. And now everything, you can't just switch that because now mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook can go one-on-one or the guy who sets the screen can post up Chris Paul. 
that's where you start to get breakdowns. But there's a lot of situations. It, it's not as bad as people think. The other real good example, the Rockets game against Oklahoma City, the final meeting last year, the Rockets absolutely torched Carmelo in the first few meetings. They did all that switch stuff. They went one-on-one. And Chris Paul and Harden burned them pretty bad, one-on-one, very bad, kind of like Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs. Yeah. But last time they met, Oklahoma City didn't switch like that. They were not going to expose Carmelo like that. He had a big first half, and Oklahoma City gets a good 12-point win or something like that win. So it can be done, and it can even be done within the Rockets' switching style to some degree. It yeah. still has to work out. How do they make it work with Capella, Carmelo, P.J. Tucker as your front court options? Yeah, and, and where he can be an asset is is offensively. I mean, how do you see D'Antoni using him? I mean, Mike's been great at kind of reinventing himself over the years. He now has you know a four-man that can you know do things offensively that previous four men probably couldn't do in Houston. How do you think he, he works on that end of the floor? Well, I think he, they do a lot of – they'll set, have him set screens for either Chris – probably Chris Paul's guy more because mm-hmm. I think he'll be on the floor with Chris – Chris Paul's basically the Rockets' backup point guard. And so I think they're on the floor oh, the majority of the time. There won't be a lot of time they're not on the floor together that one is. So you can have him set the screen for Chris Paul if you don't switch – Paul just is such a master and has been for so long. That's where Clint Capella gets rich is mm-hmm. if you don't switch. And it, there's just so much that Chris Paul can do. If you switch, that's where I would think Carmelo gets his chance to be Carmelo, who he used to be. Now, okay, you switched. You got the point going on Carmelo. He's posting at the elbow. Go to work. And D'Antoni's absolute willingness to just have everything go one-on-one, that's where Carmelo can still be who he was. The other thing is he shot a real high percentage on open and wide-open threes last year. You don't get anywhere near as many of those, really anywhere, as you do in this offense when you play with Harden and Paul. And so I think he's going to get a lot of those, just the catch-and-shoot threes, that is a part of his game, even though it wasn't a part of what made him one of the top scorers back in his best days. That's part of his game. He'll get a lot of those, too. You just, for whatever reason, Chris Paul likes running to the corners, so that works out. One of the things that would not be good about Carmelo here is if he has to be the first guy to the corner. It's not him. It can, and you think, well, you're going to have to do that because that's what Trevor Ariza did. But P.J. Tucker does it. Chris Paul, for whatever reason, it's one of the surprises of last year that didn't get talked about. He loved working out of the corners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of Harden brings it up. So that can work where he can be out there on the wing. He can set the high screen that Ryan Anderson set his first year here. He can get plenty of touches that way, even playing with Harden and Paul. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating subplot to the entire in the entire one of the most fascinating subplots in the league this year is Carmelo because if he plays well in Houston as a sixth man who gets spot duty in the fourth quarter, he could extend his career by a few years, you know, doing that. If he doesn't, if he's stubborn and it, it's it sort of becomes a pain in the ass, um, he might have a hard time, John, finding a, a job next season if, if if it goes that route. Yeah, who knows? The Rockets have no bird rights on him, so how if this is more than a one year? endeavor he'd have to choose okay yeah. i'm going to play for minimums from now on or portions of mid-level taxpayer mid-levels um you know or in this case veteran minimum as a plus 10-year veteran he can't look at here as a long-term thing unless that's what he wants to do it is an interesting that makes another layer of why it's such an interesting subplot to their season um, and it's going to get so much attention, too, where there's other issues that you have to see how they develop. And, and as I say, Ennis is extremely important. He's got a more important role with a better team than he's ever been on. He's never had this expectation of him and, and need. But on the other hand, he only will be asked to do things he can do. 
not, nobody needs him to go one-on-one or create shots for others or do any of that stuff. But he sure is important. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he's a big part of if they can be the kind of challenger to the Warriors that they were last year. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you about the front office. Uh, we know that Daryl Morey's never happy unless he's, you know, trying to find ways to upgrade his roster. How much flexibility do the Rockets have during the season to make moves? I mean, what's their, their I mean, we know he's, he's always willing to deal Ryan Anderson, that's for sure, but there hasn't been much interest in the last uh, couple of years. What, what kind of flexibility do you think Houston has to upgrade during the season? Well, you know, he's never had, uh, until this year, last season, he had never had a trade deadline in which he did not agree to a deal. And I have to word it that way because the one year he made a deal, he traded Motunas to Detroit and then Motunas to the Fiscal and they yeah. sent him back. So technically he did not make a deal that year. But last year was the first time as general manager he didn't agree to a deal. So there's a pretty good chance. I, I'm still betting on he'll do it again. They do have a chunk of their mid-level. It's a taxpayer mid-level, but they have a chunk of it left. And so in free agency, that post-trade deadline free agency, they can be active there as well. The real thing, you wonder, okay, Ryan Anderson now has two years left on that deal. That's tough to move, especially because everybody knows they have no place for him. So they have no leverage. You know, people could say, all right, you just keep them around and pay them 21 million next year and then get back to us when you get tired of that. And then we'll make you an offer. But when he's at the end of that, he'll still have one more year after this, but now it's not as much by February. You wonder if he's more movable. The only difference is most of those deals are somebody, you know, people look for somebody to put them over the top or they look to clear money. Well, he doesn't work as either of those. He's certainly not helping somebody clear money because of what comes in. Does he put somebody over the top and do the Rockets help somebody do that? And do they get somebody that would help them that way off of a really good team? It's a tough one to do, but obviously Ryan Anderson with Carmelo coming in is very much the odd man out and the guy you have to watch. You know, that's the one when you talk about potential moves. Obviously, that's the one to watch most of all. Let me ask you this. Uh, what did you make of the, 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 the report that the Sixers were trying to pry Daryl Morey loose from Houston? Yeah, it was more they were doing their initial work to get lists of potential candidates to work on. They didn't interview him. They didn't ask to come in for an interview. They were looking. It was the step before that that you do when you try to put together the here's who we can go chase work. And he didn't want a part of it. And he was happier here, he, he, which is a real commentary on his ability to do the job the way he wants to do it with a new owner. You know, they, they sort of established this is how you do your job with the previous owner. But a new guy comes in, you have to do it to know whether he's really going to give you the resources and the support and the freedom to do it the way he had been. His saying, no, 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 don't even go there, was more of a statement about that, about how it works with Tillman Fertitta, than it was about the Sixers or Daryl Morey. Never boring uh, down in Houston. Should be a really interesting season for the Rockets. John, uh, I know you're trying to get your rest before we get into the, the throes of the season, man. Thanks for taking some time to uh, to join me here on the podcast. Well, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's going to be – they are an interesting team, aren't they? No matter what happens, they really are – there's always stuff with them. I, I'm still. I know you're. You're. You're more optimistic than I am that that Carmelo and Mike D'Antoni are going to say kumbaya. Maybe it was my proximity to it, John, in New York, but but that was was cl- as close to toxic as you could get. I just wonder how they. I, it really was. I don't dispute that at all. Yeah. That it really was why D'Antoni left. I just think everything is different. Sure. Like you said, that was a forced marriage. Mm. You know, that, that that really was. They traded, and it was a trade D'Antoni didn't want when they had to give up as much as they gave up. Oh, yeah. Carmelo had to know that, too. This is different. When you choose to go down that road, I just think it's very different. Plus, the Chris Paul, James Harden factor of it, it's very different when Carmelo was the man and for four weeks, someone else was celebrated, and the offense is changing to ways he didn't like. It's just, I think it's a very different uh, situation in so many ways. But 
something you know we'll be watching. Yeah, no question. John, always appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining me. I enjoyed it. Take care. All right, joining me now on the podcast, Michael Grange covers the Raptors uh, for Sportsnet up in uh, Toronto. What's up, Mike? Not much, Chris. I'm just uh, enjoying a last little respite before uh, before things start going crazy. And and uh, reality is things are already starting to go crazy. We've got the Canadian women's team ramping up. We've got uh, Steve Nash going to the Hall of Fame next week. So uh, we've got the Canadian national team playing the week after that. So... So it's uh, busy time for Canadian basketball. That's right. Steve Nash, Canada's favorite son, right? Going to the Hall of Fame early September. Exactly. Big moment. Big month for uh, for Steve Nash. Um, big year for Toronto. I mean, the Raptors, Mike, they've always been pretty good, at least the last like five, six years. This is probably the most interesting Raptors team that I've seen in a while. What do you think? I totally agree. And, uh, you know, before you get too deep into all the nuances of all the possibilities, you know, the one thing that's irrefutable, that's already proven, that is a fact, is the minute that trade went down, uh, this Raptors team, season, organization went from, yeah, you know, interesting, good, a factor in the East, uh, you know, but but really maybe verging on the most boring story in basketball just because uh, we knew the story so well. Um, to being, you know, one of the top two or three storylines in the whole NBA and uh, just sent a charge, I think, through the league, but certainly into the, in this marketplace. And it's been fascinating for me just being out and about and, and either people kind of you know, recognize me and, you know, I know exactly what the second question is going to be. And or once as soon as people recognize realize that I do have some kind of role around the team, I know exactly what the I've had the same conversation a hundred times, but with a huge swath of people, um, well beyond the you know your standard basketball fans, and uh, that's what the Kawhi Leonard, Demar Derozan uh, deal has done uh, in, for this team. Yeah, certainly injected a lot of excitement uh, into that team and. And deservedly so. I mean, Kawhi Leonard at his best is is an elite player. But let me ask you before we get into Kawhi, if he's not available um, over the summer, do you think this team returned intact? Yes, I do. Um, not not for lack of effort. You know, I, I know for a fact that there was a considerable energy devoted to trying to make a pretty heavy duty trade around the draft. Uh, there was different directions that were being considered. You know, there was an appetite, I guess you might say, or certainly an openness to reshaping this roster. And, you know, once you fire Dwayne Casey, you know, as accomplished as he has been with this franchise, kind of all bets are off. But I'm not convinced, you know, that Kawhi Leonard being available is sort of a perfect storm when you run it backwards, like, you know, it is kind of remarkable that all these dominoes lined up. Um, but, you know, I'm not convinced that, that they would have been able to make a worthy trade um, if Kawhi Leonard wasn't available. Um, and it just would have bordered on kind of reckless to break up, which, you know, I'm convinced would have been a very good team again next year, uh, you know, regardless of that move. So uh, so I, I would say if, if not for Kawhi Leonard being available, I think, a higher prize probability was this team returning intact. You know, the, the, the deal itself, look, I, I agreed with it. I mean, you have a chance to go acquire Kawhi Leonard when you're a team that's kind of stagnated. Uh, you go and do it. But there is an argument to be made that, you know, LeBron is out of the conference, um, you know, against Boston. And I know Boston is, is going to look like a, look different this year because of the guys they get back. But in Toronto, the two games they played there, I was at one of them they ran Boston over. I mean, it was like a 19 point per game uh, point differential in favor of the Raptors. I think that played it at all to them like that. You think there's any thought that, well, you know, LeBron's gone. Um, you know, we, we're the best team in the conference without a deal. Or do you think they believe Boston is going to be that much bigger, a threat to them down the line? Well, I, th- I think there's a little bit to that. I mean, you know, Boston and Philly to an extent are, are obviously coming on, but um you know, I think that they they just deeply believed they needed to do something different. They needed to change their mix 
Um, and, you know, so I don't think that move was done, you know, in response to anything. I think it was just more an internally motivated decision um, that that went along. And But to your point, you know, the risk factor of making that move, and there's all kinds of risks that have been taken on with this, this move, uh, is higher because, you know, you, you, because of what you just described, the East is, is wide open. I think as constituted, the Raptors were well positioned to be, you know, one of the top three or four seeds in the East, no question. And, uh, you know, so they didn't need to do anything to stay in that mix, but I felt, I think they felt compelled to do something because their, their goals are bigger and, and they wanted to try and reach them. With the understanding, Mike, that, you know, at this point in the off season, after a deal like this, everyone's saying the right things publicly. But but what do you hear about just you know kind of how things are working between Kawhi, the coaching staff, the front office, um, his happiness level at, at at showing up to camp in a few weeks as a Raptor? What are you hearing about all that? You know, it has been very very quiet, and I don't think that's any big surprise given mm-hmm. <laughs> you know given uh, who we're dealing with. The one window uh, that you know, has been opened into that was, was at the USA basketball camp in Las Vegas. Uh, Nick nurse, the Raptors incoming rookie head coach, um, you know, did speak to a couple of, uh, a couple of reporters, local reporters, and, you know, said he had like a 45 minute sit down with Kawhi Leonard, you know, very early in the process. And they just talked basketball and they talked about sets and, you know, ran through, different scenarios and how he would be used and, and Kawhi was full of questions and it was a really positive uh, interaction, almost spontaneous is the way it was described to me because Kawhi was just in for his physical and, uh, you know, and basically the, the, the story gets told is, is uh, you know, Bobby Webster and the side jury are like knocking on the door saying, look, we got to get going. And Kawhi and Nick nurse, you know, wanted to keep talking nuts and bolts. So that seems very positive. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but far beyond that, you know, it's been really quiet and I'm sure that's how Kawhi Leonard wants it. But, um, you know, I think there is some enthusiasm in some reports that, that he's training hard, competing hard. He's like no restrictions on his play. Um, you know, in, in, in off season workouts, which is, which is big. And so I think those are the two little slivers of, of daylight we have. And, you know, no surprise, they're both positive at this point. You know, you mentioned Nick Nurse. And, and look, I, I know Nick a little bit. Um, and when I wrote a piece last year about the top assistant coaches um, who are head coaching candidates, Nick Nurse kind of ran away with it from the perspective of executives. They ranked him number one of, of future head coaching candidates in the league. He's been a head coach and at other levels um, and been around the block certainly a few times internationally. But, you know, you're around this guy, you know, for the last few years. I mean, how would you describe who he is, his relationships with players, what his coaching style is going to be? What can you tell us about Nick Nurse? Well, I think he's he's really prides himself on being willing and determined almost to, to think outside of the box. Now, what does that actually translate to? I mean, we've yet to find out. But you do get, because he came up so unconventionally, you know, small-town kids from Iowa, you know, small you know, Division One basketball career, played a tiny bit of pro in England, you know, was going to be an accountant, um, you know, almost stumbles into coaching and has to do it kind of the long way around. He's very, I don't mean this, in, you know, disparagingly, like he's not like arrogant about it, but he's not, I guess, overly impressed or, or maybe beholden is a better word to uh, the belief that, everything that's being done now is being done for the right reasons and, and being done the right way. And it's almost like a Mike D'Antoni feel in a way. Um, now that's obviously, you know, pretty high phrase to, you know, company to put, put a coach who's never coached an NBA game as that coach. But that same way that there's that little bit of a, of a reverence that Mike D'Antoni, you know, it's, we've all kind of come to see as a bit of a trademark of his. I think Nick nurse has a bit of that. And I think it comes from the idea that, you know, he's, he's kind of had to do it a different way and his ways have worked. And certainly there's a big influence from the Houston Rockets organization where he was a, a G league coach and just this willingness to try different things and, you know, understanding that it's kind of 
it's not always about managing your quarter by quarter. I'm talking game, you know, quarter by quarter game results. It's about you know trying to build something within a season and over over a number of seasons to maybe play basketball a little differently, a little more efficiently, whatever it might be. So smart guy, creative guy, easy to talk to. Um, I think players like him. I think people like him. And, you know, and then the, the only real, the, not the only, but the significant mystery here is what's going to happen when things go south, as they always do during an NBA season. And, uh, you know, this is the first time you've got to deal with it. And, and you know, there's no way of knowing until uh, till it happens. But I, I think there's a good reason, as you point out, he was a really highly regarded assistant and, and head coaching candidate. Um, and it's for a lot of those reasons I described did it surprise you that the Raptors stayed internal with this? Because there were some some interesting names uh, on the coaching market, some guys that have been head coaches before that were uh, available. Did it surprise you that they stayed in house with Nick Nurse? A little bit, um, you know, no no comment on Nick at all. Uh, more just that this was, um, you know, this is a really good team, and whether they had made a move or not, they were going to be a really good team. And now, you know, you'd like to think that the Kawhi Leonard's, you know, healthy and committed, there may be a better team. And that's a lot to hand, you know, a first year head coach. And, uh, you know, it, it just introduces a new layer of variables that, you know, Messiah Jerry is accountable for. And um, so from that basis, I think, you know, I know in early in the process, I think they were, sort of leaning towards trying to get an experienced head coach. You know, Mike Budenholzer was, for a good reason, was maybe the leading candidate. Mm-hmm. But their version of events might be that, that you know, they kind of cooled on, on, on that opportunity. Maybe that's spin. Maybe that's, that's uh, you know, the case of, of Budenholzer cooling on them. I don't know. But, um, but I think once they kind of surveyed the field, they became more more comfortable with Nick Nurse as the head coach. And, and, and again, it, it's in the same category of, of Messiah Jiri sort of really, I don't want to say rolling the dice, but really uh, taking on some risk uh, to, to see if he can squeeze a little bit more juice out of this, out of this uh, particular uh, stage in the organization. So let me ask you this, you know, winning is, is clearly the going to be the most important factor I would think in, the Raptors' ability to retain Kawhi Leonard uh, long-term. But outside of wins and losses and how far they get into the postseason, when you look at the relationships with the roster, the coach, the front office, what's the most important relationship to Kawhi Leonard in terms of of, of, of keeping him around? What, what what has to be the strongest? That's a great question. Um, I'm leaning towards saying, you know, Nick Nurse. You know, I think I think – uh, if you don't believe in the guy who's kind of running your, your team day in, day out, then, you know, that's going to be a problem. But I guess coaches are disposable, but I mean, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think in terms of a guy like Kawhi Leonard, just earning his respect and gaining credibility in his mind really quickly. I think Nick Nurse is going to be a big, big factor in that. And, you know, the rest of it though, I, I, I think Toronto is kind of well positioned and, and, you know, I know you've been up here a fair bit, Chris, so, so you get the vibe, but you know, it's not, it's a substantive organization, right? Like it's, it's the building is, is a good building. It's downtown. It's really got a great buzz and a feel, um, you know, that's on par with any of the the buildings in the league. The practice facility is absolutely first class. It's convenient. Um, You know, it's easy to access. You know, there's. I think there's a high emphasis on being a good organization, treating players well, all these kinds of things. So, so I think, I think, and then the city itself, I think, is, is does sell to certain types of players. And there's a very strong history of players once they get here, really going, wow, this is actually a pretty cool place to live and work. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of things lined up for it in the in favor, but. You know, I think the first stage is he's got to convince that there's a real future for him basketball-wise to reach his goals um, and and do it in such a way that would maybe make him choose here versus, you know, all the other choices I'm presuming he'll have as a free agent. 
Yeah, I've, I've always been. I was always amused, Mike, by the narrative that you know the fact that it's cold up there three months out of the NBA season, like like that's like this. Oh, that is the number one factor in Kawhi Leonard's decision making tree. Like that 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 never that never made any sense to me. I don't know what Kawhi Leonard thinks about the cold if he's you know allergic to it, but I don't I don't see that you know driving him out of Toronto or being the the top reason he would leave if he does. They don't spend a ton of time outdoors, Chris. Yeah, it's not football. <laughs> you know, it's, like, uh, Jesus. It's, uh, you know, condo tower, underground parking, warm car, underground parking, practice facility. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they somehow survive. They yeah. somehow survive. I'm curious, Mike, to see how Masai Ujiri handles this season because, you know, I, I'm wondering if there are going to be ways that he empowers Kawhi Leonard. If he, you know, I, he obviously wants to make him the face of the franchise and, have him be their their cornerstone player for years to come. Do you think he's going to do things to 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 kind of make him you know feel like he has you know sort of quasi ownership in this team? Yeah, I think he will, um, and he already has, right? Like he hired his uh, you know, yeah Jeremy the name right now because yeah I'm Jeremy Castleberry Jeremy Jeremy Thank Castleberry you. yeah uh, I appreciate that, but you know they reached out and hired him, and and he's obviously very very close to Kawhi Leonard, um, both personally and professionally, and and I think. You know, for good reason, they hired him. I mean, they did have a need at the player development level here with uh, some of the staff going with Dwayne Casey to Detroit. Um, and, and you know, Kawhi Leonard's a pretty good advertisement. If, if, if he's your, you know, if he's your your star pupil in terms of player development, uh, you did a good job, right? Like, he went from being a, a guy with big goal, a lot of potential but a lot of gaps in his game to what we see or what we have seen in the last couple of years of his career. So so that's an, an example, right? You, you go and get the guy who's he maybe trusts most with his game and you bring him in-house and do it no questions asked. I think that's, you know, that's a pretty strong gesture. Um, you know, he, he's absolutely going to get, you know, all the opportunities within the offense and defense to showcase his game as, as best he can. So, um, it, it, it'll just be a little bit interesting, and this will be part of the dance, I think, is from the perspective of Kawhi Leonard, you know, you want to give him all this stuff. Like, you want to hand over the keys, but, like, how willing will he be be to taking that on outside of a basketball context, given, you know, in his mind, maybe he's, he's he is just a temporary a visitor, I guess is what you would say. And, and how awkward can it be? I mean, I don't think you want to, you can't force it. You don't want to be saying Kawhi, like we want to put you on posters all over the city and Kawhi's going, well, you know, that's great, but it'll make me look bad when I leave, you know? So let's just, so I think it'll have to be a little bit more organic and just, I think that's their only choice. I don't think from everything we've ever, we know about Kawhi and, and you're one of the few guys who's actually written a feature on the guy, Chris, I remember at sports illustrated, mm. um, what you did that about a three minute interview? Is that, oh, that's God. what I recall? Yeah. Uh, I, I get like like, yeah, I get chills thinking of, of the difficult I will say <laughs> I will say this though, Mike, as you as you kinda enter that the, the Kawhi Leonard year in Toronto, or maybe more, uh as useless as Kawhi is when it comes to information about himself, his orbit, which includes Jeremy, by the way, and Uncle Dennis, who's yeah. who's taken a pretty good beating lately for for some stuff, but is a tremendous uh, anecdotal uh, uh source. His guys are really useful. His people around him are really good. Yeah, that's positive. But, but uh, I mean, as, as, you know, as you know, having dealt with him firsthand, and I just don't think you can – the guy's not phony. Like, he's not about blitz, and it's not about, you know, look, we want to have you front and center at the film festival. Uh, you know, maybe they have, they've offered all those things to him. But I think the relationship, it's going to have to be sincere. It's going to have to be organic. It's going to have to develop relatively quickly, but yet over time. Like, you know, and 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 that's the best you can do is I think as an organization, just put your best foot forward. I think there's this organization in the city has nothing to be, you know, embarrassed or ashamed or try to hide. I mean, it's a great place to live, work, play basketball. Um and you can only hope that, that Kawhi Leonard recognizes it and the fact that they can offer him a whole bunch more money and more term than anyone else, uh, you know, tips the balance. But it, but if not, I don't, I don't think – I don't think – the only way this, this thing really blows up is, is if, for whatever reason, Kawhi Leonard just can't play. Like, he's just, you know, 
whatever the injuries were that held him out so much last year are truly chronic and he's he's just not able to play and then you've kind of taken this huge swing this huge miss you've, you've traded a icon and, a, and an iron man for a guy for damaged goods and and but and getting the outcome short of that is is kind of understandable and probably worth the effort I would think that the performance of Kyle Lowry is going to be important in that, too. I mean, you know, one of the reasons people like to compare the Paul George situation and Paul George, a big reason he stayed in Oklahoma City is because Russell Westbrook was there. and He liked playing alongside uh, Russell Westbrook. I mean, Kyle Lowry's not Westbrook, but he's an all star level guy, uh, you know, but did drop off last year in virtually every uh, statistical category. I mean, what what is at 32 years old? What is Kyle Lowry? Do you think he can get back to that? you know, 15 to 2015, 2017 type of level, or is last year kind of indicative of, of what his ceiling is going to be? Well, I think, I think you got to be a little careful looking at some of that profile there, Chris, because there was an intentional uh, decision made going right back to this time last year when, when they signed Kyle Lowry to Mm -hmm. a three year, $90 million, hundred million dollar deal, which was above market to part of the, the thinking there was, they were going to pay you a premium to play a little less, have a little yeah. smaller role, keep you fresher. So on you know, first glances numbers, there is a bit of a drop off, but I think on a per minute and, and ratios and those kinds of things, they're actually pretty strong. He, and so I think that's all done to make sure that now going to year two and then next year, year three of that deal, that you can have him freshest and most able more the most uh, as most as you can. And, and during the playoffs, like as much as the Raptors struggled, Kyle Lowry did have a decent playoff, um, certainly offensively. And, and so I think there's still some optimism that, that he's going to be a significant factor. And, you know, I, th- I think Kyle Lowry is a great guy to play with, right? Like, I mean, he is tough. He is competitive. He's a smart player. Um, he's a very good player. I think playing off a guy like Kawhi Leonard, there, there's going to be a great fit there. And, and, but to your point, I think, you know, Lowry is going to, you know, he really is the leader of that team because the guy who might be the leader of the team, Kawhi Leonard, you know, I don't know if he's got a strong track record as a leader. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and so I think that's going to be a real interesting vibe to watch is how, um, you know, how Kyle wants to step into that role. And, you know, one thing that, people who aren't around the market might not get all the time is how much, uh, you know, how, what DeMar, how much DeMar DeRozan just sort of soaked up on behalf of Kyle in particular, just because he was such an easygoing guy. He was, he's, you know, he did not place a lot of demands on a locker room or on a coaching staff or on a management team. And it, you know, you know, when Kyle didn't want to, you know, Kyle was being kind of prickly and, you know, the way he can be at times, that was fine because, you know, tomorrow would cover up for him and, and, and it, he could go on his way. Um, that's that little security blanket's not there anymore. And I think there's going to be a lot more expected of Kyle um, internally and externally to be like a true leader and truly kind of, uh, you know, set a standard and set a tone. And, and that's, that to me is a little bit more interesting to watch are going to be interesting to watch then how he plays on the floor. I'm not, I think you're going to get a really good 32 minutes out of Kyle Lowry, just like you did last year, but it's some of the, the more, the less measurable stuff that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. That's interesting. The, the, the locker room dynamic that you described there, what, what, you know, the, they get better with a healthy Kawhi Leonard, but this is also a team that, that should get better with some of these young guys too. I mean, they're not the sexiest of names out there, Mike, but guys like Ananobi, Van Vliet, even, you know, right, go down the list. I mean, they've got some really good young players that, that especially part of that second unit last year, that they should have, again, one of the most formidable second units in basketball. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, and, and when you were talking, we were talking earlier about what they can do to convince Kyle, you know, Kawhi Leonard, this is a place to play. Well, that's a big reason. <laughs> it's like, he's looking around and I'm sure he doesn't have a ton of firsthand experience, especially having played not much last year and playing in the West at what, you know, Pascal Siakam is all about or what DeLon Wright yeah. is all about or Fred VanVleet and, and OG Ananobi and, you know, that crew. Um, but they are, there is like 
some there's some real players there, and I think you know NLB. You know, he kind of he had a good rookie year, particularly coming off an ACL in his senior year or his last year of college. Um, but he, he he had a great playoff, and you know, all the indications are he's had a great uh, like off season, and he should be kind of a year removed, more than a year removed from his ACL. So they're expecting big things from him. Pascal Siakam is a guy who. You know, it's it's kind of ridiculous to breathe him in the same breath as Draymond Green, mm. but you know, it's there is the the analogy is uh, a kind of a guy who was a little bit out of position early in his career, grew some of his game to kind of find a position for himself, and the game kind of evolved to help him find a position, and just this kind of really a high IQ, high energy a quality that allows him to be a perfect kind of wing slash big in this type of basketball. And, and Siakam is a guy he's, he's shown signs of being a good three point shooter, um, like a very good three point shooter. Um, and he, but his ball handling, decision-making, passing, athleticism, motor, like they're already pretty elite for a big. And, you know, these are the kind of guys we saw what friend Brian Bleet did as a six man of the year candidate as a rookie, and that's why there is like so much enthusiasm and, and deservedly so for this group. And as I think Kawhi Leonard perfectly complements the talent that's on hand and, and vice versa. Um, so, you know, this is not, you know, this is not a, a case of, there's a reason the team won 59 games last year and there's no reason they wouldn't be a better team than they were this time of year ago, at least on paper. Let me finish with this, Mike. The you know obviously you do some things to maximize Kawhi Leonard, and you know maybe you tweak some things defensively. But you know Nick Nurse coming from Dwayne Casey's staff, and and obviously had a lot of input to say the least in what they did offensively last year. Um, do you expect any substantive changes in the style of play for Toronto this season? Yeah, I, th- I think there will be. Um, you know, I think I think they might even go further down the road of of, of kind of space and pace route um, that they kind of went down last year. I think defensively, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Nick gets, you know, coaches get labeled, right? And so Nick's a defensive coach, an offensive coach, not a defensive coach. But, right. you know, when you talk to him, he's got all kinds of ideas about what they can do differently defensively. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that is an important thing because in the playoffs last year it wasn't their offense that let them down it was defense they, they just could not figure out how to get stops consistently certainly against LeBron James but um so I think you'll see differences and uh you know th- there needs to be differences there should be differences why why go to the trouble of hire, firing a guy like I say a quality person as we all know Dwayne Casey and certainly the track record that he built up here if you want things to look the same so um, exactly how it'll shake out. I mean, you know, we'll have to wait and see, but, but I, I, you know, I, I, having talked to Nick as an assistant, you know, he certainly would come across as a guy who, you know, was going to take his shot. Like, I, you know, I don't think he's going to get the head coaching job and all of a sudden start being careful. I think he's going to, he's going to go and, and go, you know what, this is my chance. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let it go by without, you know, I'm going to get, if, if it doesn't work, it's going to be because I did it my way. And, and, you know, I, I think that's obviously the only way you can do it as a head coach in the league. Yeah, certainly should be interesting. Was They've been a good team, like we said at the top for a long time, but, uh, you know, most compelling Raptors team we've seen uh, in, in a very long time, probably since the days of uh, Vince Carter. Uh, Mike, always appreciate the time, man. Good to talk to you. And uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you up there in Toronto real soon. <laughs> All right, Chris. Thanks. Enjoy what's left of summer. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Jonathan Fagan and Michael Grange for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.